Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church once again. It's wonderful that you are watching this. And for you teachers, thank you for your diligence. We're praying for you that God blesses you and that your teaching will be a joy and that your class will be transformed through the teaching of the Word of God and that other people will be reached for the gospel and uh, become believers. And for those of you who are watching this because you are, are unable to be in Sunday school, but you want to keep up with everything, I think that's awesome. And I really encourage you and commend you uh, for that. So thank you very much. We're making our way through the little book of Galatians, this powerful, powerful book that so clarifies the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's one of those things, if you get wrong, that has eternal consequences. But if you get it right, it has eternal benefits and blessings. <clears throat> it clarifies, too, the fact that every religion is going to come up with some way where you can do something to make yourself right with God or the gods or whomever it may be. And uh, there's always something you have to do to kind of join the club or stay in the club. And it all comes down to you and what you do. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to do the initiation rites, those type of things. Where Christianity, uh, this is God saying, I'll put it all on my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accept sinners like you because you could never measure up to anything. And, uh, you know, close is, uh, it doesn't work in this situation. Somebody said it's like trying to jump across the Pacific Ocean. Some people may jump from a, one of those rocky um, cliffs in California. Some people may make it out a little bit further than others, but nobody's going to make it. And that's the way uh, we really are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So uh, Galatians, very, very, very important that we understand not just the book, but the gospel that uh, it, it shows us and the logic of that. So we're going to be looking at Galatians 2. 17 through 21. Let me uh, read the introduction. The Judaizers would claim, like many today, to believe in Christ. However, they also said in Acts 15, verse 1, quote, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? So what they were really saying is you've got to be circumcised. And if somebody said, well, I have been, uh -huh, but you weren't circumcised our way, according to the law of Moses. See what they were saying? This has to be their way or the highway, but it's not God's way. That's the problem. It's their uh, invention here. And let's uh, think about this. If you add anything, anything to Christ, for salvation, you are actually denying Christ and putting your eternal destiny in the hands of what you do. Okay? There's a, a, an old story about a guy that was um, a Methodist and he had been sprinkled and he was talking to his nephew and he said, Well, I think I want to be a Baptist. And the nephew said, Well, then you'll have to be scripturally baptized. And the man kind of playing with his nephew said, so if I got into a baptistry tank up to my ankles, would that be enough? No, 
that wouldn't be enough. You've got to go all the way under. Well, if I went into it up to my waist, wouldn't that be enough? That's half of my body. No, you've you got to go immersion. It's got to be immersion. You've got to be baptized totally. And he said, well, what if I w went down under the water uh, all the way up to my eyes? No, that's not enough. You've got to go all the way under. Well, what if I went up to here? And he pointed to the top of his head. And he says, no, you've got to go all the way under. So I've got to have even this top part covered or it doesn't count. And the nephew goes, yeah. And the man goes, see, I knew it was only this part of the head that covered. And I've been uh, baptized on that part of my head. And it's supposed to be kind of funny, but it sort of illustrates what happens. If you press that issue, somebody twists it around to say, really, what matters is the top of your head getting wet. If you push the issue of circumcision, then what you're saying is it's a good thing that Christ died, but it doesn't really mean anything until you are circumcised. It doesn't mean anything until you do this. It's not really, the emphasis is not really on Christ. Now, I have an issue, to be honest with you, even with the way some evangelists will do their invitation. I'm always for people getting saved, and I'm not an anti invitation or altar call uh, type person. I, I, I just believe enough in the sovereignty of God to know that it's not my extension of an altar call that's going to save anybody. God is going to save them. Uh, but how many altar calls have you seen where it's something like this? Um, I want every head bowed and every eye closed, and then you set the mood in the music. You got to have the right mood in the music or nobody's going to trust Christ, right? And then you say, uh, if, if you, I'm going to pray this prayer. And then if you pray this prayer, I want you to look up at me. So they lead in a, in a prayer, a formulaic prayer. And then they say, now, if you prayed that, look at me, look at me, look at me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, that type of thing. Remember that? And then they say, now, if you are really serious about it, I want you to look up at me and I want you to keep looking up at me or raise your hand or something like that. And uh, did you mean it? 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 And, um, you know, and they'll nod. It. Well, if you really meant it, then I want you to come forward. And so uh, some of them at least will come out forward and then um, he'll talk to them and then he'll pray with them and then send them to counselors. And I'm like, wait, I thought you just told them they were already saved by praying that prayer. What are you going to a counselor for? Well, just to confirm it, make sure that they understand. OK, that's fine. I get that. But uh, you know what I've counseled with uh, a lot of people about and struggle with this in the same way. If salvation is a matter of repeating a prayer and then walking down front and having somebody affirm you, first of all, nobody can affirm your salvation but God. The Bible says his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. I can't tell you that you're saved and you can't tell me that I'm saved. That's our Father's job through the Holy Spirit, for one thing. The second thing is it put all kinds of questions in me because I would read a book or I'd hear somebody say something and then I would think back to my prayer. And I wasn't sure if I really was saved or not because I may not have said exactly the right thing. Now, here's the problem with that. That takes the emphasis off of the cross 
and what Christ has done, and it puts it right down on what I have done. Maybe I didn't believe enough. Maybe I didn't really mean it like I meant to mean it. I should have meant it more. Maybe there were some words in there. I read a book one time on repentance, and then I was all stressed out because I couldn't remember if I had ever actually said the word repent or not. And so see, I'm putting it back on me and what I do. I knew Christ died. I believed in that. I knew he was raised from the dead. I knew that he was Lord of all. No problem about that. I just wasn't sure about what I had done. Well, this is what Paul is dealing with now with these uh, poor Galatian believers. Now they're being told it's really not enough what Christ did. It boils down to what you do. You've got to do it and you've got to do it our way and you've got to do it right or no dice. God won't save you. That's a horrible thing to put on somebody who has uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. So listen to how Paul puts it. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. In other words, we didn't do it right. We didn't get it quite right. Is Christ therefore a minister? And that word means servant, a servant of sin. And Paul goes, certainly not. And that's strong language there. Absolutely not. God forbid, we might say. Verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law, for I, pardon me, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I don't count anymore on that. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, human performance, human rituals, those type of things, circumcision, baptism, any of those, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, the word vain there can also be translated empty for no purpose. So Paul is saying if you add anything to what Christ did, you have to pray the right prayer. You have to be, in this case, circumcised the Jewish way according to the Jewish custom or something like that. Then what happens? It means that Christ's death on the cross is not really the big thing. It's not really the important thing. It's what you have done. See how the enemy works and how the enemy takes all of the focus off of Jesus Christ and what he has done and always tries to put it back on what we are and what we do, how we behave and uh, all of that. So uh, that's why Paul said, not of works, lest any man should boast, because that's exactly what we would do. We would feel good about ourselves because we were circumcised or baptized or whatever it might be. We'd, we'd feel pretty good about that. I'm, I'm really glad I did this. And so uh, Paul ends up this with that, ends this, uh, concludes this, I, I can talk, uh, with uh, that famous verse, I'm crucified with Christ. 
because what he is saying is, it's not about what I have done, it's about what Christ has done for me. Salvation is not what I feel or what I think or what I do or anything like that. Salvation is not even uh, what happens to me. That's a result of salvation. Salvation is something done for me 2,000 years ago on Golgotha when Jesus Christ took my sin and absorbed the wrath of God for me and made the perfect and complete sacrifice for my sin. Anything added to that takes away from the cross of Christ. So I hope that's very, very clear. Uh, point number one, according to the Judaizers, here's, here's the conclusion, Paul was lost. Now, certainly Paul had been circumcised according to the law of Moses. There's no question about that. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. We know that. But that's not what Paul was preaching as the gospel. So what would that make Paul according to the Judaizers? If they are saying, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved, and Paul's not preaching that, what are they saying about Paul? Paul's a false prophet. Paul's a liar. Paul is deceiving the Gentiles. Paul is not telling the truth. In other words, Paul is lost. That's what verse 17 says, that if while we seek to be justified by Christ, in other words, justified the way Paul preached, apart from the works of the flesh, apart from the law, apart from any human performance, then he says, we ourselves are found sinners, transgressors, unworthy, unclean, unchanged, unjustified. It can't go to heaven. That's what Paul is saying in a nutshell. That's what they were saying about him. And so Paul did not teach that the law and the rituals were necessary for salvation. So he's already at odds with them. They cannot both be right. Let's, let's make that very clear. It's not that we're, you know, we're a little bit closer than they are, but all of us are kind of wrong. No, this is an issue of either Paul is right or the Judaizers are right. They both could be wrong, I guess, but they couldn't both be right. And so Paul understood that the law was kept and fulfilled by Christ. You see, everything Paul is going to point to is going to point back to Christ. What the Judaizers and what cults and false religions and people who don't understand the gospel, they always point it back to you. Have you kept all the sacraments? Have you had the last rites? Have you, on and on and on we go. Uh, did you keep your 40 days of Lent and fasting? Did you, you know, whatever it might be. Were you baptized in order to be saved? Uh, no, I was baptized because I have been saved, not in order to get saved. You see, it always goes back to us in those situations. Paul always pointed us to Christ. And Paul taught that uh, to the Gentiles, uh, taught this to the Gentiles, and he trusted in it himself. And there's where the rub was. It wasn't just that Paul was a little different or had a little different slant. This is what he was teaching was the true gospel. And the Judaizers said that the Gentiles were almost nearly but not quite hardly saved. Isn't that what they were saying? Until you go through that surgery, you're not really, you haven't really made it. That's how you really get it. 
And so Paul is saying that can't be true or that makes Christ, what he did on the cross, worthless. And they were also inferring that Paul had apostatized and lost his salvation by eating with Gentiles and, and teaching them a foreign gospel. So found sinners means uh, we're not cleansed or we're unjustified before God, okay? So they were basically saying, Paul, you're lost. They would have agreed with Paul's statement there. Yeah, you're right, you're not saved because you're teaching something that's wrong. He wasn't, but that's what they thought. Number two, according to the Judaizers, Christ is not greater than sin. Uh, look, look at uh, what he says in the last part of verse 17. Is Christ therefore a, notice this, minister of sin? Now don't let that word trip you up because we think of minister as being like a pastor or something like that. That's not the Greek word here. The Greek word here is the word for deacon. Uh, is Christ then a servant a diaconoi, I think it is, uh, of sin, a servant of sin, a minister of sin. In other words, subject to sin, enslaved to sin, uh, having to follow sin and having to um, do everything as a subservient person would do to a superior. And in this case, the superior would be the sin and Christ would be the servant. And he says, uh, certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So minister means servant. And so if Christ cannot deal with sin, then he is inferior to sin. And so that is simply saying in, a, in another way, if Christ died on the cross, but that didn't quite get it done, he didn't quite conquer sin, then that means that um, he's sitting there going, uh, well, I did everything I could. Now you've got to do something with this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in neutral. I'm stuck. It means he is inferior to sin. He can't deal with sin. He can't pay for sin. He can't eradicate sin. And that's a horrible thing to think about. So then why did he die? And why did the father send him? What, what's the purpose of Christ's death if it really just boils down to being circumcised according to the law of Moses? And so if Christ can't deal with that, then he's inferior. He's a servant to sin. And therefore, Paul would have to return to the works-based righteousness that he had renounced. That's what that one kind of tricky-sounding verse means, that Paul would have to go back to where he was before. It means that his conversion on the Damascus Road was not really all that much. The real thing is living in the rituals and living according to the law of Moses. And because Paul would not perfectly obey the law, then Paul was leaving the perfection of Christ to go back to the imperfect law keeping he had done before. And that's why Paul had to be saved in the first place. As good as he was, he was imperfect at keeping the law. Well, is he going to go back to that? Or did Christ do it perfectly for him? And folks, that's the real issue. Did Christ do it or not? Is Christ the finished work of salvation or not? Because if he's not, and there's something else that we have to do, then what's the point? And that's what Paul is using a little bit of logic, putting all of this together. 
if the Judaizers are right, then the cross of Christ, well, it, it got close. But Christ can't really do anything until the sin is dealt with because he is a servant of sin, inferior to sin. See where he's going with all of this? And nobody would ever say that, of course, but that's exactly the way the truth of it comes out. Number three, according to the Judaizers, justification is a process. Okay, look at verse 29. For uh, I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, he always goes back to what Jesus did. And for Paul, when he would explain justification, justification was something that was done instantly, just like that. Something that is started here and finished as time goes by. Okay, here's, here's basically what we need to think about. Okay, I'm a Gentile. I'm living in Galatia, and I trust Christ as my Savior. And Paul tells me, you are now saved because of the grace of God. I've received the Holy Spirit. I love the Lord. I love His church. I love His truth. Uh, I am, my life is completely changed. I show, show fruit and evidence of salvation. Then some guy from Jerusalem comes and says, have you been circumcised? And I go, uh, no. Why? Well, unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, not in a pagan temple or not for some other reason, but unless it's according to the rituals that Moses prescribed, you can't be saved. Oh, really? Does that mean that all that I did before? No, 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 no. You got started, but you've got to finish it now. In other words, from the time I trusted Christ until I get circumcised, let's say that's a week or two weeks or a month, I really didn't get saved until later because they would say that justification, you got to do this, 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 and this. And then just maybe you might be justified at the end. Uh, folks, that's exactly what Roman Catholicism teaches. They don't teach that you're just born again and you're just justified in an instant. They believe that it is a process and that you may or may not be justified when you die. It's why you have to go to purgatory and burn off the residue of that sin, and then you'll be justified and able to go to heaven and be fit for heaven. And nothing could be further from the truth. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, uh, 13 says, shall be saved instantly, perfectly, and eternally that you're saved. It's not until you, you get saved now and then whenever you get a chance to get baptized, then you're justified. Or whenever you can be circumcised, then you can be justified. Or when you finish all of these rituals and a priest gives you last rites, then you might be justified after you've spent some years in purgatory. No, justification is something that God does instantly as he declares a sinner not guilty. Okay? So it's instant. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now, look at the past tense, been justified. He never says we are being justified because justification is not a process. It's the gavel of the judge coming down, boom, not guilty. Okay? And that's what God does for us because of what Christ has done for us. So he says we have now been justified 
by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so you notice the verb tense again, not are being justified or will be justified or might be justified as a result of doing the right things at the right time and in the right way. It's always goes back to Christ. And with a works-based system, you don't really know, pardon me, you're justified until you stand before God. In this life, you're just in the process of obtaining justification or salvation. Uh, Muslims believe, for example, that you live your life the best way you can according to the Quran while you're here on earth. And then when you stand before Allah, they're going to put a big set of scales out and they're going to balance the scales. And if your good outweighs your bad, your obedience outweighs your disobedience, then you're welcomed in. If not, then you're in big trouble. And you don't really know until you get there. And then you find out whether you've been justified or not. You see, they think it's a process that is started and then completed by you. And all false religions kind of had this idea. And uh, that's something that we need to reject. That's not a part of the gospel. The Bible teaches that through faith, you have been justified, meaning you are right now justified. And it happened at the moment that you put your faith in Christ. Number four, according to the Judaizers, Christ's death was empty. It was kind of a secondary thing. It it, it was nice, but it's not really the main thing. It's not the main focus. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, anything that we do, in other words, then Christ died in vain. His death was as empty as a bubble that your kids play with in the backyard. You blow it out. Wow, what a big bubble. But you don't worry about it hitting anything or hitting anybody because it can't do any damage. Why? Because the bubble's empty, full of air. It just pops and then it's gone. And that's essentially what Paul says it is whenever you find somebody that says, trust in Christ and then do this and this and this and this, and then you can go to heaven. That would include Mormonism, wouldn't it? Uh, every other religion except biblical Christianity adds something that man does to the cross of Christ. And Paul says, well, then what's the point of the cross? It's empty. It's uh, like a soap bubble. Pop, and it's gone. Uh, If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Jesus died to save or justify sinners. And when he said it is finished, was he incorrect? Must more be done? And that's another issue that we think about, whether it's uh, the Roman Catholic view of justification as a process or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that, or a Baptist that says, put your faith and trust in Christ and then you've got to walk an aisle and pray a prayer. Is that really what it's all about? I think that salvation is a lot like this. You see a woman and she comes to church and she's got that extra special glow. She seems really happy. What's going on? And then she says, oh, we're expecting uh, our first child. Now, 
She goes through nine months of a gestation period, and then that child is delivered. And when that child is brought out, uh, and the doctor slaps the child or whatever they might do, and the child cries, does the baby become a baby at that point? No, that baby has been a baby from the moment of conception, a human child carried in the womb. The cry that the baby makes after it is born is proof that it's alive. In the same way in salvation, the seed was planted a long time ago. We don't know how long. It's been growing. It's been watered. But one day, God gives the increase and that person becomes born again. And I would say that the prayer they pray putting their faith in Christ is a result of the work of God, not the cause of the work of God. And uh, the Jewish, the Judaizers here were saying that circumcision is, that causes the work of God, and uh, it's not a result of the work of God. It's what makes it happen. That's where the magic takes place. That is nowhere found in the Bible, and that's why Paul was so upset. So if circumcision is necessary, then Jesus' death was only part of salvation. It is the act of circumcision that actually justifies us, but Jesus' death could not quite do it, and his statement, it is finished, was really a lie. And you can't put any faith or trust in it. So let's wrap this up. Colossians chapter 2, verses 19, um, pardon me, 19, 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. We need to really get that. All of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He put it away. He did away with it. He obliterated it. Charges are dropped. You are not guilty. Now, when did he do that? The last phrase, nailing it to the cross, not washing it away in the waters of baptism with all respect to Carrie Underwood. There must be something in the water. No, it, it's just water. Nothing that we do, nothing, get that, get that in your heart and in your mind. Nothing we do adds to or completes or finishes salvation. Salvation is the work of God completely, and Christ obliterated our sins on the cross. And the moment that we recognize that and we surrender to him and trust in him as the full payment of our sins, we're declared not guilty. We're brought into the family of God. We're given the Holy Spirit as a gift, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. And according to Romans, I think it's five, that we have peace with God through the blood of the cross. All takes place in an instant, not a process. Get it? And so as we think about that, we want to make sure we understand everything points back to what Christ does and not what we do or feel or experience. I heard somebody say one time after they gave an invitation, they were talking to a person, did you get saved tonight? Yes, they said. And the preacher said, oh, I can tell you did because that's a Holy Ghost handshake if I've ever felt a Holy Ghost handshake. That's ridiculous. 
That is ludicrous. Nothing in the Bible points us to anything like that at all. It always goes back to Christ. So think about your testimony. And when you share the gospel, if it boils down to anything that a person does or that you did, it takes away from Christ. It's all about what Jesus did. And then we just simply say, will you believe that? Will you put your faith in that? And that's what happens. Faith in Christ saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus, I believe it's the third chapter, not of, with works of righteousness, but by his mercy, he saved us. See, it's all through the scripture. And so that's what we have to get. And that's what the Galatians needed to know and have affirmed. You were okay before you ever, some of them doubtless went through the rite of circumcision. And Paul was saying to them, that's fine. It's neither here nor there, but that's not what saved you. And that's not why you were right with God. It always goes back to Christ, always goes back to the cross. And I think that a lot of us, we need to remember that and we need to think about that and make sure that our lives are centered and our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, okay? And so Paul is doing them a great favor and doing us a great service as well by teaching us this wonderful truth by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the word of God alone, the cry of the Reformation, those solas. And that's what they had been called back to. And that's why the book of Galatians meant so much to Martin Luther. Lay aside all of your works and all of the rituals. Jesus has paid for all of it. Free from the law, oh happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. Uh, bruised by the fall and cursed by the law, but Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Praise the Lord for that. So thank you for your time and may the Lord bless you this week as you prepare. And we'll see you definitely next week. And may the Lord bless you in the meantime. Thank you again.